The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with going for two futures fighting for a second day of gains after stocks snapped a three-session slide, however, under pressure right now. But not everybody's in the buyer seat. We lay out why one group of investors is actually turning bearish on U.S. stocks and Two hours down, 46 to go. Amazon Prime Day officially kicking off today. The latest spending test for consumers who may already be stretched to the limit. Plus, City lays out its AI stock playbook and the name set to win big in the months ahead. And then later on in the show, why CEOs and tech billionaires are itching to sell some stocks. It is Tuesday, July the 11th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Thank you so much for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after a mostly positive day for Wall Street with the major averages snapping three session losing streaks. Looking at futures right now, um, seeing some movement right now. Just a minute ago, the Nasdaq was in the red, fractionally lower. Right now, you're seeing it's fractionally higher. The S&P and the Dow Jones now fractionally lower, seeing some movement now in the pre-market. We're also seeing some movement when it comes to shares of Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Tesla and Alphabet. After the Nasdaq said it would rebalance its Nasdaq 100 index to address its, quote, overconcentration, with changes set to take effect before the market opened on July 24th. You're seeing the downside moves for all these big names yesterday, some pressure from that rebalancing. We're also checking the bond market this morning. Yields on the 20 and 30 year long bonds trading just below, just a tick below their November 2022 highs. We're seeing the 30 year right now at about 4.005 percent, basically 4 percent yield. Probably also important to note that the 10 years continues to creep back up to a 4% yield, something a lot of investors are watching, increased cost of capital there. We're also looking at energy, oil coming off its highest settle in a month. Looking at the oil market right now, WTI crude at 73 bucks a barrel and some change, up a quarter of a percent. Brent crude at 77.80, basically, also up fractionally. The market trying to figure out the impact of those OPEC cuts and also a slower than expected recovery in China that just seems to continue to drag on. Okay, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Tuesday morning to you. India's largest conglomerate is reportedly closing in on a deal to become the country's first homegrown iPhone manufacturer. According to Bloomberg, Tata Group is set to buy a factory currently owned by Taiwan-based iPhone supplier Wistron for roughly $600 million. The plant employs more than 10,000 workers and currently assembles the latest iPhone 14. Uber's chief financial officer, Nelson Chai, is reportedly planning to step down. If confirmed, it would mark the most significant executive departure at the ride-hailing giant since the company went public in 2019. And according to reports, Chai informed CEO Dara Khazrashahi of his intention to move on, though a decision on timing has yet to be made. 
and meta platforms. Twitter rival threads officially crossing 100 million signups within five days of launch. That's according to CEO Mark Zuckerberg and the record setting launch effectively dethroning ChatGPT as the fastest growing online platform to hit the 100 million user mark. According to UBS, it took the generative AI bot about two months to hit that milestone, Frank. I'm still not on threads. Wait, why are you not on threads yet? It's very simple. Don't you have an Instagram? With. Yes, but it's, it's too like much to keep up with. It's like a hit of a button. With. What are you doing? It's too much to keep up with. It's right? a whole wave. I was uh, <laughs> doing halftime last week. Josh Brown now calls himself, uh, I think, Thready Murphy. He has a lot of thread-related oh, nicknames. Wow. we got to find one for you. Right, you got to get right. on threads. All then right. we give you the nicknames. All right, fine. Come on. Come on. All right, Savannah, we'll see you later on the show. Thank you. All right, turn our attention now back to the markets. Investors awaiting key inflation data. June CPI out tomorrow as investors search for the insight into the Fed's policy path forward. Ahead of that, New York Fed president and permanent voting member John Williams telling the Financial Times he has, quote, pretty slow growth, but not a recession in his forecast. This is monetary policy tightening and credit tightening should weigh on demand in the coming year. Williams comments coming on top of three other Fed officials saying yesterday, Policymakers will need to raise rates further this year to bring inflation back to the central bank's target of 2%. Joining me now, Annika Trion, chief economist at Van Schlock Kempen. Annika, good morning. Good morning, Frank. All right, so John Williams, just the latest Fed speaker to tell us there's going to be more hikes, but that they believe there's going to be a soft landing. Last week, it was Austin Goolsby. Do you believe that's actually possible? Can we get two more hikes and still see a soft landing in the U.S. economy? Well, Frank, it's, it's all about this juxtaposition that we have today. On one hand, you've got monetary policy, which is incredibly hawkish. On the other hand, you have fiscal policy, which is incredibly supportive to the economy. Think about many, many measures that have been announced thus far, be it Inflation Reduction Act, be it national security measures, be it rewiring of global supply chains, infrastructure spend. So trillions of dollars that are being uh, infused into the markets, creating jobs, et cetera, which is one of the major reasons why, despite very sharp rate hikes, the economy is holding up quite well. Yeah, so it sounds like you're saying the Fed sees it sometimes the way investors see it. Good news is actually bad news. When we see wage increases, we see, you know, stimulus being put into the U.S. economy. That's actually bad news, at least when it comes to inflation. Long term, how does that cycle play out? Because as you mentioned, people have more money to spend, so prices remain elevated because people can spend. That's exactly it. And that's why, you know, looking at the inflation figures, it's all about core inflation. And core inflation is around the five percentage points mark. That's nowhere near the target of 2%. Services inflation is sticky. And the issue is all central banks in the world were too late to start the rate hike cycle. They were all talking about transitory for too long. And the risk, what happens then is services inflation, especially inflation gets embedded into the sector. It gets sticky. And as long as people have their jobs, as long as wages are growing, people are very happy to continue consuming uh, services, which is what's happening right now. Right. So we see people still consuming. But one thing that they're some people at least are pulling back on is stocks. A lot more people are getting a little bit pickier when it comes to stocks, especially here in the second half of the year. I know you have an investor's manifesto. I want to hit on two points of it. One point on it is market share, and the other one is ROIC, return on invested capital. Um, give, us a, give us a sense of, of how important that strategy is when it comes to picking stocks right now and the metrics that you're looking at. Yeah, so uh, just quick recap. Our investment manifesto is incredibly simple. It is we look for companies that have a very strong competitive positioning, a strong USP, a very strong focus, and 
correct alignment with us as shareholders. Now, the first one, competitive positioning, is extremely important right now. And you've referred to two things. One is market share. One is return on capital employed. Let's start with return on capital employed. For every company, for every decision maker at companies, leaders at companies, they make decisions on how they are going to invest every incremental dollar of capital in their business. It might be in a factory. It might be in hiring new people. It might be in customer acquisition for you know, digital marketing, for example. Now, every incremental dollar that's invested is invested based on an expected return. And that's captured by the return on capital invested. We've come from a world, a decade, where rates were so low that, you know, it's all about the spread. What is my cost of capital compared to what is the return I expect to generate on my capital? If my cost of capital is almost zero, it doesn't really matter what my expected return is right. because my spread is there and I'm happy. Yeah, we're, we're far away from changed. that environment now, though. Yeah. Uh, rates continue to rise. The other point of yours is when it comes to market share, you're looking for companies with at least 20 percent market share. So it sounds like investors need to do a little bit of homework before they put some money on a stock. Anna Katrion, great to see you as always. Thank you for the time and for the insight. All right. We have a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, a live report from Lithuania, where President Biden just arrived for this year's NATO summit. And then later, City lays out its names to watch and the ones to avoid during the recent AI wave. Then later on in Worldwide Exchange, getting set for a high stakes hearing on Capitol Hill on the PGA Live Golf merger. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Arabile Goumide is standing by in our London newsroom with more on both. Arabile, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So not much, by the way, of news really has really moved into Europe. NATO summit, of course, taking most of the headlines. But you did get record UK wage growth numbers coming out. And that has sparked a little more fears when it comes to inflation, of course, which has been a lot stickier, particularly in the UK. Uh, than the rest of Europe in particular. So that is going to hurt when it comes to those fears for the Bank of England, who has continued to say that the uh, government now needs to step in and help them in some way or other when it comes to helping in the fight against inflation. So we're seeing a mixed board thus far, but pretty much across the flat line for most indices, with perhaps the CAC 40 out in France being the only one out of lockstep. In Asia, well, there was also mixed trading there. We had seen those CPI uh, numbers out of China then yesterday, and that 
that has filtered through uh, to today, uh, picking up somewhat uh, more than 1.5% gained uh, for the stock out in Australia as well then, while nearly 1% gained as well for the Hang Seng Index out in Hong Kong. So positivity across the board here, a mixed trading day out of Europe. Of course, anticipation is still towards that CPI number out of the U.S., which will clearly point the direction of the next interest rate set of hikes. Frank? Our Arabile, thank you very much. Our Arabile Gumide, live in our London newsroom. Sticking with the action overseas, President Biden arriving at the 74th annual NATO summit in Lithuania this morning, getting set for two days of talks and possibly the addition of a new member state. Our Steve Sedgwick is on the ground and joins me now. We're live uh, right now live where French President Emmanuel Macron, he is speaking to reporters. Steve. Yeah, absolutely, Frank. You captured me at an amazing moment. We've got the world's, the Western world's leaders just coming through our camera point here. I've already managed to catch words with the, the, the Prime Minister of Norway, of Estonia, of Belgium, uh, of the President of Lithuania as well, with the Secretary General uh, of NATO also talking about the enhanced security guarantees that Ukraine will get on the back of this meeting. Great cooperation at a council uh, between Ukraine and NATO to work forward on armament, to work forward on a whole host of issues. President Macron there only taking a couple of questions uh, in French there. What we've got now, I'll just tell you who's coming up to the next microphone. The gentleman crossing behind me is the Latvian Prime Minister Christianis Karins. And very interesting hearing from the Latvians, the Lithuanians, the Estonians, because of course they are the Baltic nations where we are now. They are the ones who are stunningly concerned uh, about what is going on with Russia because where I'm standing Frank, I'm 30 kilometers from Belarus and we just heard from one of the leaders saying look, let us not pretend that Belarus is independent anymore. Belarus is very much a close ally to the Russians. They've got tactical nuclear weapons being placed on their shores. They've got Wagner fighters there. They've also uh, got um, all kinds of concerns about what the Belarusians are doing with, as a military force as well. So just very interesting listening to all these world leaders who are coming past our camera points saying look, we need to spend more money. We need greater defence in the East. And when we say the East, we're talking about all the way down from the Baltic nations, all the way down to Poland, uh, and indeed to a lot of nations in the East and Central East of Europe who have great concerns about what Russia will do if, Frank, it wins the Ukraine war. Because if it wins the war, what they're saying here is we are all at risk. Our territorial integrity is at risk from all of us. Fascinating day here in Vilnius. Back to you, Frank. Yes, Steve, we're catching at a very special moment, as you mentioned. French President Emmanuel Macron speaking right there over your shoulder. I know these world leaders are going by you right now. Give us a sense of the other headline story here. Lithuania possibly joining NATO. Are you hearing any comments about that? Sorry, that's that's the Swedes joining NATO. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And this is fascinating. You know, I had an indication last night. I spoke to the Lithuanian president who said to me, I think we're going to hear positive news on this tonight. And then there was a big story broke that actually the Turkish were saying, no, 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 no. We're not going to allow the Swedes to join NATO. We're not going to ascend to that unless we get into EU, unless we get a pathway to the EU, which are two completely different things. And, and that went totally against what I'd heard just minutes earlier from the Lithuanian president. And, but I had a uh, a bit of an idea that Lithuanian president knew something. And funny enough, later on we had an announcement, we had it from President Biden, we had it from the Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, that actually the Turks were going to allow the Swedes into NATO. This is fascinating because it completes what's called, and I say 
please, everyone, get out a, a map because what it does is complete the encirclement around the in the in the Baltics uh, of indeed Russia because you've got the Norwegians, the Swedish, the Finns, the Danes, the, the, the North Germany, Poland, uh, and indeed the Baltic nations. So really, really interesting. Uh, and the Secretary General telling me just a little bit earlier, he's telling me earlier that actually what the Russians wanted was a smaller NATO, uh, uh, an enfeebled NATO, and what it's got is a much bigger NATO going from 30 nations to when the Swedes are in, 32, Frank. Very, very interesting day. Uh, it looks like it. Our Steve Sedgwick live in Lithuania talking about NATO. Possi- I mean, excuse me, Sweden possibly joining NATO. Getting it mixed up today. But Steve, you got it right there on point. It is always great to see you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, City's top picks in the AI space, plus a very unusual weekend double feature. And McDonald's gets into the wedding business, as well as $80 hot sauce. Getting some big bids online. They are your top trending stories, and they're coming up right after this. Stay with us. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The director of national intelligence, deputy secretary of defense and other key administration officials will brief senators during a classified meeting today on the risk of artificial intelligence as lawmakers consider new safeguards for the cutting edge tech. But looming regulation is not hurting investor enthusiasm for some of the high flying names leading the charge or for the ETFs tracking the trend like the ARC Autonomous Technology and Robotics ETF ticker ARKQ. It's up nearly 40 percent this year. And this week, City is out with its own AI playbook, laying out some of the under-the-radar names set for what it calls significant and transformative AI opportunities in that space. Joining me now is one of the authors of that report, Amit Harchandani, as City's head of European Technology Equity Research. Amit, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. Very in-depth report. You call AI transformative. In all fairness, that's a consensus opinion. However, I want to talk about investing in this transformative technology. We've seen big run-ups in a lot of stocks. The ARKQ ETF, the one we just signaled right there, uh, mentioned right there, up about 40%. Do you see the, the potential for more upside in ETFs like that, or is it one of the individual names, one of the many individual names you lay out in this report? Thank you. I do believe the initial upside in AI is certainly very visible, and as we move on from here, there's going to be greater emphasis on identifying stock-specific opportunities, names which are not very obvious to investors. Yes, the funds will continue to do well because some of the winners will continue to push on, but I think alpha generation will get harder. And yes, that's why we have written this report, focusing on bottom-up opportunities and try to classify them as incremental, significant, or transformational Not only have we looked at the enablers of generative AI, we've gone a step further and also talked about the adopters of generative AI across the various super sectors, as we call them within Citigroup. You know what? I want to talk about that. One of the early adopters, you say, is financials. Um, Their big bank earnings are coming up later this week. You list Bank of America and J.P. Morgan specifically as adopters. How are we going to see the impact of AI on financials and do the rate hikes that we're expecting? Does that change your thesis in any way? 
It's it's a very interesting question. I would say banks are looking at this as much more than a one or a two or even a three to five year trend. It's much bigger, broader, strategic in nature. And if you look at the power of generative AI and the number of use cases across various segments within the banking industry, it's quite significant. So I do not necessarily believe the rates might influence the trajectory of generative AI adoption. It's more strategic, and I think it's going to manifest itself across multiple use cases, ranging from retail banking to institutional banking. And again, as you look at the report, we do talk about some of those use cases within the financials and fintech section. Yeah, again, a very detailed uh, note that you put out here. So I want to get to some of the, uh, the details in it. You list a number of U.S. and international stocks having a transformational opportunity when it comes to AI. Your definition, meaning potentially more than 20 percent of sales coming from some type of AI related sales. Um, NVIDIA and Microsoft, two big names, two headline names listed in, in this note. Don't you believe or do you believe that the transformational opportunity that investors could find here, isn't that already priced into these stocks? Or is there some part of this opportunity, even for those big names that investors are missing? It's a great question. And I would say that when it comes to those two names, there continues to be debate in the market. And I distinctly remember my colleague who covers NVIDIA telling me that, you know, when the stock was up 75%, an investor pushing him back. And now the stock's up probably double of that year to date. <laughs> The way we think about it is there's always an element of hype. But if you look at it down to fundamental levels, based on our individual views on both of those stocks, we do see upside on a 12-month view. Therefore, no, we do not believe all of it is priced in. The, they are strong. They are recognized for their AI potential. But we think there is lots more to come. And therefore, we highlight them in the report. Having said that, we are still early in the innings. There are many more names where the impact could potentially go from incremental today to significant tomorrow, from significant to transformational tomorrow. What we did not want to get into was using the plain vanilla winners and losers tag. We think the discussion is deeper than that. And we believe this is a trend that needs to be tracked over a period of time. What we see today is what we have published, but this will definitely evolve over time. And we want to pay close attention to it. All right. So speaking of paying close attention, we're showing some different graphics and walls right now with a number of the stocks that you mentioned in this report. I asked you about some of the headline names. Is there one under the radar play that you think investors really need to take a close look at right now? Absolutely. I think one of the perceived losers, if I could call it, in, in the early debate has been the IT services names, uh, which, as you see in the report, we talk about as being the fifth layer of our value stack. Most of these names were punished based on the simple premise that AI is going to replace jobs. But as we show in the report, there are certain names. In particular, I would highlight Globant, which is covered by my colleague in the U.S., which is an IT services name that has made good, solid investments in AI for some time now, where my colleague, who's the lead analyst on the stock, believes it's likely to be a winner. The other interesting point, if I may highlight, is people tend to bucket the big hyperscalers the likes of Meta, Alphabet, and Amazon, and think the impact is going to be the same on that. But my colleague, Ron Jossi, who covers these names, highlights that the level of opportunity is different for all three of them. One of them is incremental, one of them is significant, one of them is transformational. So there are nuances which you can only bring out once you've known these companies for a period of time. 
Yeah, I think that's actually a great point, Amin. And then there's a fourth player that's kind of emerged when it comes to hyperscalers and AIs. Oracle also in that mix, something a lot of investors are looking at. Amin Harchandani, great report. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get a check of this morning's other headlines outside the world of business. NBC's Jessica Layton's in New York with the very latest. Jessica, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. President Biden has approved a disaster declaration for Vermont. The National Weather Service says some places there have gotten more than nine inches of rain, causing catastrophic flooding. First responders say they have been involved in more than 50 swift water rescues. Weight loss drugs Ozempic and Zexenda are now under investigation by the European Medicines Agency. This coming after Iceland flagged three cases of patients thinking about suicide or health self-harm. Now, in a state the drugs maker Novo Nordisk said so far its own monitoring has found no connection between thoughts of self-harm and the drugs. But in clinical trials, Novo excluded people with a history of psychiatric disorders or recent suicidal behavior. And finally, Blue Jays slugger Vladimir Guerrero Jr. following in his father's footsteps, winning the 2023 home run derby with 25 long balls in the final round. His dad took home the title in 2007, so they are now the first father-son duo to hoist that derby trophy together. Frank, I'll send it back to you. Yeah, he's quite the hitter. Pretty good first baseman as well. Jessica, I would say so. Great to see you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Two hours down, 46 to go. Amazon Prime Day officially kicking off today. The latest spending test for consumers who may already be stretched to the limit. Much more on this coming up after the break. Worldwide Exchange, stay with us. Right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area. And there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks looking to make it two in a row after snapping their three-day slide. Futures fighting for gains at the open. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway making more bets on fossil fuels and locking in a new multi-billion dollar deal and cashing in. Our Robert Frank is here. He's going to break down just how much stock billionaires and CEOs have unloaded following the market's strong start to the year. It is Tuesday, July the 11th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. As you can see right now, kind of a mixed picture, basically flat, but the Nasdaq fractionally higher. The S&P just turning fractionally higher, literally about like the last minute. The Dow fractionally lower. It looks like it would open up at this very early hour, about 30 points lower. Again, it is early and we're seeing a lot of movement. So this after shares of Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Tesla and Alphabet, as you can see, they all took a hit in yesterday's session, about a percent and a half to just about 2 percent or 1 percent to 2 percent after the Nasdaq said it would rebalance its Nasdaq 100 index to address its, quote, over concentration. Those changes will take effect before the market open on July the 24th. Something to watch. We're also looking at the bond market this morning. Looking at the yields here, the benchmark 10-year, just about at 4%, something we continue to watch, the increased cost of capital. We're also seeing the 30-year pretty close to its November 2022 level right now, just a tick above 4%. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Savannah Hanau has those. Savannah? Hey, Frank. All right. Well, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway making another bet on energy. Berkshire agreeing to pay $3.3 billion for Dominion Energy's 50 percent share in a liquefied natural gas terminal. Berkshire Hathaway Energy already owned 25 percent of the Cove Point plant in Maryland and manages its operations. The deal is still subject to federal regulatory approval and expected to close by the end of this year. 
Microsoft confirming that it is cutting more jobs after slashing 10,000 positions at the start of the year. A Microsoft spokesperson would not specify to CNBC how many positions would be cut in this latest round. But a filing by the company said it would cut 276 positions in its home state of Washington, 66 of which are virtual positions. And a Senate Homeland Security subcommittee is set to hold a hearing this morning on the planned merger between the PGA and Live Golf. Ahead of the Live Golf, sorry, ahead of the hearing, the PGA Tour is defending the deal. The tour's chief operating officer, Ron Price, who is set to testify today, argued in an op-ed that the merger was the best outcome for the future of golf, Frank. I don't, you know, I don't care if it's live or live. It's controversial, <laughs> it really It's is. a very it controversial is. situation. Uh, we will be tracking this story right here we on CNBC. Sure Great interest to our audience. I don't know if you're a golfer. I'm a terrible one, but I've still tried. It's, I, I stopped trying. Yeah, it's still fun. All right, Savannah, thank you. You got it. All right, and a reminder: on July 25th, CNBC and Boardroom will host Game Plan, bringing in the most influential leaders across the sports landscape to talk about the intersection of sports and business. To learn more, just scan the QR code on your screen or go to cnbcevents.com. Turning now to some retail, Amazon's annual Prime Day event. It's underway. Take a look. This is a live look at the company's fulfillment center in Melville, New York, where activity is already buzzing at this hour. Analysts say Prime Day is a test of consumer demand in an uncertain economy and a year of high inflation. CFRA says Amazon is offering deeper discounts than in previous years and its first ever travel deals in a partnership with Priceline. Insider Intelligence is projecting that Amazon will make just about $12.9 billion from Prime Day, up about 11% from last year, with roughly $8 billion of sales here in the U.S. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy told our John Fort last week, consumers are trading down and they are bargain hunting. We want customers in an uncertain economy where they're very conscious about price, where they want to extend their dollar to be able to have a very broad assortment of items they can buy at deeply discounted prices. And so that's what we're hopeful they'll get in Prime Day, and I think that's what they will. All right, let's talk a lot more about Prime Day and the state of the consumer with Stacey Widlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors. Stacey, it is great to see you. Hey, Frank. Good morning. So let's just talk about this year's Prime Day. Uh, we're, we're hearing right now people are looking for discounts. We know there's going to be a bump of revenues around Prime Day, not only for Amazon, but also for its competitors that offer similar deals. But what does it mean for the quarter? What does it mean for the profit for the quarter and the margin for the quarter? Well, really, you know, it's it's cyber summer deals. It's Prime Day. And we've seen this last year. And of course, we had two Prime Days last year, one in October as well. Expect the same thing this year. But I think the big deal is that this is not only about selling stuff, it's actually more about subs, subscriptions, right? Because really, Amazon just wants you to sign on and become a Prime member and have loyalty all year long. And the same can be said for Walmart that's offered you a half-off deal um, for their membership. Target, Circle, same thing. Some of the deals are just for members. So they want you to sign up to get your data and get your loyalty. But what we've seen in the past is absolutely this will be a pull forward of sales from back to school at a lower margin. In October last year, we saw the same thing when we had the second prime day, a pull forward of holiday sales at lower margin. But, you know, the consumer's been so-so this summer, so it does get them out there and get them excited and get them spending. All right. Well, so we're showing some of the summer deals there just a moment ago. 
Um, so overall, is this a, a net positive or a net negative for the, for the quarter for these different companies? I know that it's about getting the subscriptions and data, but what about the actual profit? No, I think it's it, it is a positive to get people because, as you were just saying, everybody is incredibly price sensitive at the moment as a result of inflation and all the pressures in the economy. So anything to get them out there, we're going to see discounts anyway at some point, whether it happens now or at the end of August, they're going to happen. So at least now we get the consumers motivated, we get them out there. And of course, when they're spending on some things that are discounted, occasionally they do get inspired and pick up full price things surrounding it. So I think it's really just about getting the customer motivated. All right, Stacey, I want to bounce something off of you. We're just getting the latest data from MasterCard's spending polls. They say while in-store spending was up in June, some parts of the Midwest and Northeast, they actually saw lower traffic due to the impact of smoke from the Canadian wildfires. E-commerce remains strong, however, with online sales up 7% year over year. What do you make of this? Yeah, not a big surprise, Frank, as you know, it's we were smoked in for, you know, days and um, even in, into July, obviously, we had some wild weather. We had 4th of July, which was very broken up this year. It wasn't a big weekend. So there weren't a lot of events to get people out into the stores. And there were a lot of events that actually kept people from going into the stores. So, again, I think that, you know, Prime Day coming along right now or Cyber Summer or any of the names we're hearing out there from all the different brands, it's a positive because the traffic has been somewhat choppy. It's going to get people out there at okay. least online and get them spending. What's going to be the big takeaway from Prime Day, in your opinion? What are we going to learn about the consumer? What are we going to learn about retail for the rest of the year? I think you're going to learn about just really how price sensitive they they are here and what they're willing to spend on in terms of I think there's some great deals out there on consumer electronics. There are already some good deals on toys. Um, there are even some deals on Christmas trees already, which is crazy. Uh, you know, we're seeing some 20% off Barbies. It's so we we want to see what the consumer's doing. Are they gonna start shopping for holiday even now and hoarding hoarding Barbies at 20% off? And what does that mean really for the pull forward and do we see an even bigger thud this year right before Christmas as we saw last year? These are great questions. I know a lot of people are watching us and looking for those lightning deals as we speak. Stacey Williams. They're everywhere. It is always great to see you. Thank you. Good to see you, Frank. All right. Turn our attention now to the growing list of billionaires and CEOs unloading stock at an increasing pace after little activity last year. Uber CEO becoming the latest high-profile corporate leader to sell shares Robert Frank joins us now with just how much stock has been sold so far this year. Robert, good morning. Great to see you. Good morning, Frank. Good to see you. America's top billionaire is selling over $9 billion worth of stock so far this year. The Walton family, those are heirs to the Walmart fortune. They topped the list with nearly $4.5 billion of sales. So you've got Rob, Alice, Jim, and Lucas Walton, all beneficiaries of those sales. Now, that family typically sells to stay under that pledged ownership threshold as Walmart continues to buy back their shares. Many of the biggest sales, though, are in tech. Joe Jebbia, the billionaire co-founder of Airbnb, cashing in nearly $900 million of shares. Those shares up over 50% this year. Then you have Oracle stock up 35% this, this year. That's made Larry Ellison $38 billion richer. And he's got a lot more pocket change selling $848 million of stock as part of options exercises. Oracle CEO Safra Katz also selling $470 million along with her options exercises. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff, Palo Alto Network CEO Nikesh Arora, and three board members of NVIDIA also big sellers. 
Moderna CEO Stefan Bonsell selling $300 million of stock in the first half. That is after unloading about $400 million last year. And finally, Josh Harris selling another $210 million of Apollo stocks, which, of course, will help pay for the Washington commanders. He's got that $6 billion check to write along with some other investors. So he's selling to raise some cash, Frank. Talk about some first-class problems, Robert. All right, so we just covered all this selling. What about the executive insider buying? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, many people could see just the selling part as a bad sign for the market or perhaps these individual stocks. But the insider buying is also running well behind last year. It's actually about half what it was in the first half of 2022. So you've got a lot more selling at the top by the billionaires and a lot less buying together, not a great sign for the market. Yeah, certainly something to watch. Robert Frank, it is always great to see you. Thank you for that great report. Good to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning's global briefing and major Wall Street banks buying for a major IPO set to take place in China. But first, as we had to break, we got your top trending stories. Move over, Taylor Swift. Summer's hottest ticket is now, is now what some are calling Barbenheimer. AMC Theater's announcing this week that more than 20,000 members of its loyalty program that purchased same-day tickets to watch Barbie and Oppenheimer as a double feature when both films premiere next week. Oppenheimer is produced by CNBC's sister company, Universal. Speaking of hot items, Sriracha bottles are bringing the heat in a very different way, selling as high as 80 bucks each on eBay and Amazon during an ongoing shortage in supermarkets, which began just about a year ago. And if you've ever craved crispy McNuggets or a burger at a wedding, you may actually be in luck. McDonald's now offering a wedding catering package that includes 100 packs of McNuggets, chicken burgers, and McFlurries for right around 230 bucks. The offer is currently only available in Indonesia. The foodies say it's only a matter of time before the special home makes its way to the States. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming back in a moment. Those are your trending stories. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a market flash for you now. Reuters reporting that Senator Elizabeth Warren and three other lawmakers are urging the Department of Defense to scrutinize L3 Harris Tech's planned purchase of Aerojet Rocketdyne. The lawmakers are citing antitrust concerns, arguing that companies like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon and Boeing are all dependent on products that only Aerojet is able to produce and their operations could be crippled by this acquisition. We're taking a look at shares of L3 Harris and Aerojet this morning, both unchanged, a story that we will continue to watch throughout the morning. All right, time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with KeyBank, raising its price target on NVIDIA to $550 per share. It says the chipmaker is fundamentally best positioned as the sector faces increased demand for generative AI servers. Looking at shares of NVIDIA this morning, up three quarters of 1%. Piper Sandler upgrading its rating and price target on Zillow, moving it to overweight and $62 per share. Piper citing continued premier agent share gains as well as bottoming in the housing picture with improvements expected next year for that move. Looking at shares of Zillow this morning, up 3%. And Jeffries upgrading its rating on J.P. Morgan to a buy ahead of the bank's results on Friday. Jeffries calling JPM a winner that can keep on winning, citing its combination of balance sheet strength, strong liquidity positioning, and best-in-class earnings potential. Shares of JPM this morning up more than 1%. And time now for your global briefing. A check on headlines, dominating conversations on trading desks all around the world. We're looking at shares of Chinese real estate stocks 
mostly getting a boost after Beijing announced the country will extend two financial policies to support the real estate market there. The policies will now remain in place until the end of next year. China's Geely Automotive and French car maker Renault signing a joint venture to launch a company that will manufacture and supply hybrid powertrains. Reuters says Geely will hold 33% of the joint venture, Renault will hold 50%, and the remaining stake will go to a subsidiary of Geely. And some of Wall Street's biggest banks are reportedly wooing global sovereign wealth funds to buy into the Syngenta's $9 billion Shanghai IPO. That's according to Bloomberg. J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, HSBC and UBS are among those working on bringing foreign investors for what could be the biggest public offering this year. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus Truist Advisory's Keith Lerner. He's going to lay out the trading day and why current trends are signaling a runaway bull market to him. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this break. Stay with us. Take a look at some live shots from around the world this morning. We're looking at London, Hong Kong, New York, and Washington. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories that you may have missed before the opening bell. We begin with New York Fed President John Williams telling the Financial Times he has pretty slow growth, but not a recession in his forecast, looking ahead to 2024. India's largest conglomerate is reportedly closing in on a deal to become the country's first homegrown iPhone manufacturer. That's according to Bloomberg. Tata Group is set to buy a factory currently owned by Taiwan-based iPhone supplier Wistron for roughly $600 million. Uber's chief financial officer, Nelson Chai, is reportedly planning to step down if confirmed, it would mark the most significant executive departure at the ride-hailing giant since the company went public back in 2019. Meta Platform's Twitter rival Threads officially crossing 100 million signups within five days of launch and dethroning. ChatGPT is the fastest-growing online platform to hit that 100 million user mark. That's according to UBS. And union dock workers say they will not unload cargo bound for Canada in support of port workers on strike in British Columbia. Those strikes, which began on July the 1st, have potentially disrupted more than $5 billion in cargo and prompted at least two vessels to divert to ports on the U.S. West Coast. And back here in the U.S., HCA Healthcare says the personal information for potentially tens of millions of its customers have been stolen in a cyber attack. HCA warning that the info is now available for sale on a data breach form. All right, we're also getting ready for the trading day ahead. Just in a few minutes, we get the latest look at the state of small business with the NFIB survey. Then later this morning, fresh Fed speak from New York Central Bank President John Williams. And as we're discussing earlier, Amazon kicks off its two-day Prime Day event today. We're also watching Lithuania as President Biden and fellow NATO members kick off the military alliance's two-day summit there. Well, turning back to the markets now, hedge funds, they appear to be turning their attention from the U.S. to Europe. That's according to the Financial Times. Citing data from Goldman Sachs showing funds have slashed their bets on rising U.S. stocks to the lowest level in about a decade. It is over concerns about the resilience of the U.S. tech-led rally, a key area of that concern, more rate hikes from the Fed, and expectations of an economic downturn as a result. Then we have on the flip side, the funds have raised their bets on European stocks to their highest level ever. That's despite the region-wide stock 600 far trailing the S&P and the NASDAQ so far this year, and the FTSE 100 actually in the red. For much more on this, let's bring in Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, it is always great to see you. Hey, good morning, Frank. Great to be with you this early Tuesday morning. (laughs) 
So are you seeing things in a way similar to how hedge funds are seeing them? Are you seeing maybe it's time to take some money off the table in the U.S. and look at the international markets? We are still bullish on um, the USA. We're Team USA. We've been that way for several years. I mean, the outperformance has been pretty wide. So on a short-term basis, you can certainly get some of that back and consolidate. But as we look over the next year to 18 months, if you have a global economy that's slowing down, historically, the U.S. tends to outperform. Again, on a short-term basis, maybe a, a bit extended, but we would not shift our position for anyone that has a, you know, like a year or so uh, outlook. So back in May, you were one of the first people I heard talk about the equal-weighted uh, S&P 500 index. I want to give you a little bit of credit. So if you look from June, that's when the market first started to broaden out in a lot of people's opinions. You see outperformance by the S&P equal-weighted index and also by the small caps, the Russell 2000. Is that where you would put money to work today and, and even for the rest of the year as you believe the market is broadening? I think at least for the next several months, I think the equal-weighted index is likely to continue to outperform as those big-cap tech stocks take a breather. We still like big-cap tech longer term, but we also just came out, out of the best first half of the NASDAQ since 1983. So some, some, some digestion, I think, makes a sense there. And then if you look at the equal-weighted S&P, it's trading at a more reasonable um, PE around 15. And er in early June, right around the time we decided to increase our exposure there, it had the greatest underperformance on a three-month basis to the market cap S&P that we've seen in the last 30 years. So we think that, that rubber band got stretched too far, and we think we're going to go ahead and see some more mean reversion or some more upside for that equated index relative to the S&P. Well, Keith, with that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? Okay, Frank, the, uh, the word of the day today is consolidation for the headline market. And the reason why we think that, Frank, is, um, you know, again, we just talked about the Nasdaq had a big first half, the S&P had a big first half. And right now we're heading into that big CPI print tomorrow and we're heading into earnings kicking off next week, which we think we'll have to uh, where I'm sorry, where we think the expectations are much higher. So, listen, I think it's more of a consolidation, kind of a chop back and forth, backing and filling just to, again, digest these big gains that we've seen year to date so far. You had a pretty big wind up there, Keith. I was expecting something totally contrary. A lot of people are seeing some consolidation coming up. So with that in mind today, you mentioned the equal weighted S&P. Where else would you put money to work today, whether it's a sector or an individual name? Yeah, I think overall we still are bullish on the industrial sector. It did have a big month last month overall, but you have a lot of positive tailwinds as you think about infrastructure spending, onshoring, defense spending as a whole. So within the sector side, that's our, our favorite area. Over the next few months, if we see some of these techn technology companies come in and just maybe correct in time, we think that will be an opportunity, but we think it's, it's more of a resting period for them. Is your theory on the industrials, is that based off of reshoring and, and you're saying also the, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure bill that passed? We're seeing a lot of that funding come through in recent weeks. Well, I think it's going to be a multi-year story. So it's not weeks, but I think there's going to be this trickle that continues to provide, um, you know, revenue opportunities for a lot of these companies in a time where we think the overall economy is still normally, uh, sorry, where the overall economy is likely to slow. So normally if the economy slows, you don't want to be industrials, but there's a lot of these tailwinds that will likely continue, not for just the next couple of months, but the next couple of years. All right. Keith Lerner of Truist Advisory Services. We appreciate it. Great to see you as always. All right, we got a quick market alert for you before we go. The Secretary General at OPEC speaking with reporters right now saying global energy demand is forecast to rise 23 percent through 2045. He added the global oil industry needs $12.1 trillion in investment during that same period to keep up. This follows as the IEA report this morning 
uh, that the clean market energy market is surged to $320 million in just the last year. Looking at the energy markets right now, up in the green. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.